Yard Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. There's eight books in the series. And they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. Had Tom Figarelli on today, a very interesting individual. He's the executive director of the C.M. Russell Museum in Great Falls, Montana. And what made this podcast so unique was to hear his real love for his hometown, which is Great Falls, where he's from and his parents are from, and to understand how an artist who died in 1926 can have such an impact even today in the world of art and getting children educated into art and what he stands for for Western uh, and Native American arts, not only in the state of Montana, where he really is kind of like a superstar, to today. And so I'm very fortunate I'm going to be able to go and give a talk in uh, August 20th. Of course, hopefully this will live on this podcast, but of this year at their Russell show that they have. They have this big major auction and they give an award, which is the Western Heritage Award, which I'm very fortunate to be able to say that that uh, I got that award this year. It blows my mind, really, when I hear about an artist having such an impact to the culture of a state and a people and a mindset of what Western and being Western is. And it blows my mind in the sense that, not because he's an artist, because I think artists are critical to our culture and who we are. And I think they're highly underappreciated in our society. So I guess the part that really amazes me is that in some parts of the world, in some parts of America, there's there are artists that can break through and we can really see how important these people are. They are our you know, being of what we consider our culture and how we see the world. So I I was thrilled to talk to Tom because he really could talk about this in a very intimate and personal way, having grown up in Great Falls and really kind of ended up with his dream job of being the executive director of this museum. So I encourage everyone to listen to this, and if they can, come out and see the show that's going to happen in August. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing event. I know I'm uh, clearly thrilled to go there and uh, receive an award and and also be able to talk about Maynard Dixon, who I feel is in that same kind of pantheon of Charlie Russell. So, Thomas Figarelli. Well, I have uh, Thomas Figarelli. He goes by Tom here on my podcast. I appreciate you coming on to the Art Dealer Diaries. And uh, uh, actually, I talked to Larry Peterson. He said, oh, he's so dynamic. He'll be great. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> so you got no pressure at all. Oh, great. Well, you got to question Larry's judgment there. But uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I think his judgment is really good. So oh, well, thanks. It's good to good to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, it's fun. And how's what's so right now when we're taping this, this is uh, middle of April. What's the weather like in Montana? 
Well, it, while it is the middle of April, it feels more like the middle of February up here. Uh, we've got quite a bit of snow on the ground. It's about, you know, 31, 32 degrees out. <laughs> um, so a little, little cold. Fortunately, the wind's not blowing too, too bad, which is kind of a rarity in Great Falls this time of year. Oh, well, I've got my sh a long sleeve shirt on because of the air conditioning that is on going on in my room. <laughs> well, I wish we could have that problem here. Yeah, mid-90s, low to mid-90s, I think, most of the next week. Well, so it's just as a different as can possibly be. Well, in this time of year in Montana, you never know what the weather's going to give you. We had a 70-degree day uh, this this week, this time last week. So last Friday, wow. and then it just turns back to winter. So it's kind of back and forth this time of year. The weather's not sure what it wants to be. So when do you, when can you actually like plant gardens and things like that? You know, that's, uh, that's part of the, the kind of delicate balance around here, uh, in the, in this part of the country. Cause it's, you know, planting gardens, you know, you probably want to try to get it done around April. You want to start blowing out your sprinkler system and getting ready for, some nicer weather but if you get too far in front of that you can have a hard freeze come in and wipe out any of the work you're doing um so it, it's kind of tough it's kind of like threading the needle a little bit um yeah gosh i even here at the museum you know when we're thinking about doing some of our plantings you know it's just hoping that we get it in the right spot and we don't have another hard freeze like what we just had this week so you know usually to answer your question this time of year but you're always kind of rolling the dice and so are there a lot of people that come to visit the CM Russell Museum this time of year, or is it kind of stay away until the trees start blooming? You know, we're just starting to pick up uh, about this time of year. So like today, for instance, it's pretty busy. You know, we'll probably have, you know, 60 to 70 visitors. Oh, yeah, that's really um, good. You know, today is, is, is my guess. But, you know, in the summer, you know, we'll, we'll have two, 300 visitors a day at certain points. Um, so it starts to really pick up some steam about this time of year. People are getting out and exploring the country, but really um, it's mid-May here that we start to hit a real high point and that'll carry us through until, you know, early October. And you're the executive director. That's your title. That's right. Yeah. So basically you're, you're, <laughs> you're responsible for everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep the clocks around here. That's right. Right. The buck falls with you, right? Uh, correct. That's yeah. right. And so, the, the museum, I want to get into the museum, but I'm just, I, I want to find out a little bit more about how you ended up in uh, the CM Russell. I've known a couple of people that have been at that museum. Um, and I, interestingly enough, though, I'm going to be visiting it this summer to, to do my talk and to get my, the, the award you're giving me, but I, uh, I've never been. So I'm kind of excited just to, to see it. Of course, I know a lot about Charlie Russell, but I, I'm going to learn a lot more between now and then. But so did you, you grew up in Montana? Are you a Montana kid? I did. I, in fact, um, this is my hometown. I grew up here in Great Falls. Wow, um, that's so I'm, cool. I'm blessed to call this place home. Wow, that's really amazing. D did you always know that you would want to kind of stay in Great Falls? You know, no. Uh, in, in fact, I didn't want to stay in Great Falls. I think okay, like now this growing this up sounds like more normal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, you grew up in your hometown. You want to leave, and I did. Um, I left a couple of times, uh, as a matter of fact, but. Um, my whole family's here, my wife's family's here. Um, and there's simply put nowhere, nowhere else better to raise a family than Great Falls, Montana. Um, we have great schools, lots of great parks. Um, Montana itself is gorgeous and Great Falls is in the heart of it. Um, it's the most genuine town in the state of Montana. Cause Montana, like much of the West is changing quickly with lots of people moving in and, you know, kind of a, a kind of a resort 
feel um, taking hold in, in many towns across the state, which isn't a bad thing per se. There's a lot of economic activity that comes with that, but you also lose a little bit of, you know, kind of like a degree of accessibility or like this hometown feel. Great Falls still has that. So it's, it's a great place to be. We're really blessed to be here. And, you know, I'm you're really blessed to be able to uh, serve a place like this. I mean, the museum is the crown jewel of Great Falls. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a true joy to be here as the executive director. And some would say it's the, the true gem of Montana, I think. Well, that's true. If not the American West, we'll, we'll go that far. You know, no, you um, can say that. I mean, yeah, I've enough people yeah. say that to me in the past that they really do. Um, when I tell them I haven't been to it, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> what are you? Are you really? I go, well, I always want to go to the thing that they have in March, but it's our busiest time here. And it's like 75. And then it always seems like it's cold and snowy there. So, well, those are smart people you're talking to. You yeah. keep good company. Um, <laughs> you know, I, we're truly in Charlie's backyard. You know, our, our museum sits on the same uh, city block and a half that um, was right behind Charlie and Nancy's place. So the, the home and studio are parts of our collection. Um, we look at them as um, works that help tell and interpret the story of Charlie, unlike anything else. So, I mean, there's a lot of other museums that have really large Russell masterworks. And, and we have some of those in our collection too, but nobody else has the Holman studio. And there's no better way to personally kind of get to know the two of them, Charlie and Nancy, than, um, than to walk through the, these spaces. So we kind of feel like we're on sacred ground in some respects, uh, you know, as, as far as Charlie's uh, story is concerned. Um, and, you know, we take great pride in being able to talk about him. I mean, it, we're the namesake of, of him, right? That's our, our, our role but to talk about him on really personal terms. And so that's, I think when you come here, Mark, something that we're really excited to present to you and, you know, certainly um, very, very little on Russell will be lost on you, but hopefully we can uh, share a few new nuggets with you as well. Oh no, there'll definitely be nuggets to be had. I mean, if, if nothing else, just, you know, Dixon goes up there in 1917 to, to, to meet Russell and to spend time with him because he was Dixon loved the fact that, Russell was so good with uh, costumes and clothing and he had it right, you know, and, and Dixon, had, that was always a big bugaboo for him to get it right. And one of the things I think he really respected and loved about Charlie Russell is he not only did he get it right, but he lived with the people, right? I mean, he grew up, you know, he was, you know, a cowboy in there early on and doing all these things. And Dixon respected somebody that would work as a cowboy because he, he knew what that was and what that meant. So, you know, for me, it will be in a weird way, hollow ground via Dixon to, to oh, come see. Yeah, no, that's very appropriate. And, you know, that's one thing we really like to tell people, too, is that you know, Charlie was a great mixer and, you know, he didn't have a formal art education. So what he gleaned from people like Dixon and other artists that he were around, I mean, that shaped the way he worked. I mean, that influenced his technique, influenced, the, you know, the way his work developed on canvas. And so you really can't tell Charlie's story well or completely without talking about people like Dixon. So I think you're on point. Yeah, no, and, and I'm going to cover some of that when we when I do give my lecture on Dixon about that. I'm going to specifically go into that. And I think it'll be interesting for the people at that uh, hollowed ground, as we so to speak, uh, to hear the, you know, another guy's view of a man that ended up having a museum for him. Well, that's right. And, you know, Mark, your, your perspective and expertise on, on Dixon is second to none. So I, I tell you, we're excited to have you here. Your educational symposium will be, I think, very enriching for our folks. And, you know, to have them 
hear about Dixon in that light, um, you know, it's going to just elevate our education offerings. Cause you know, we obviously focus on Russell, um, you know, right. in most of our symposiums and as we should, but to be able to have a different lens and a historic artist, uh, you know, to, to be the feature, I think it's just going to be good fun for everyone. Yeah. And they, yeah, there's a lot of correlation there in many Indeed. ways. And, and they've met on, I think three different occasions too. So, you know, there was, there was a, com, uh, a bond there between those individuals for sure. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun for me to do a little education on uh, figuring out that how deep that ran. I have an idea, you know, I've read the letters and things, but yeah, it's interesting. But besides just talking about the museum, I actually want to talk a little bit about you because one of the things I find interesting and one of the reasons I like to do these podcasts is I really want to know why people do what they do in the arts and why they dedicate their lives to it. And that's what you've done. That's what I've done. And so you, you grow up in Great Falls. What does your mom and dad do? What are they doing there? Well, uh, my mom, interestingly enough, uh, was a fifth grade teacher. Uh, she was a teacher for 48 years total, um, but uh, was a fifth grade teacher for about 32 of those 48 years. And that's significant because here at the museum, we have a, an annual essay contest. We've been doing it for 53 years. And so growing up, um, you know, coming to the museum with my mom, and her classes was just kind of this annual highlight. And uh, she had a number of her students that won the essay contest through the years. And the prompt has somewhat changed over the years. It started uh, out as, I like Charlie Russell because now students are asked to answer, Charlie Russell is important because, you know, bottom line, they're an answering the simple question was, why is Charlie relevant today? Um, and, you know, we have students come through our museum about, uh, you know, the month of January into February, we have about a, a thousand students total do that. These are all the fifth graders here within the county. Um, and so for me, you know, it's, it's kind of like this personal connection to the museum and to Charlie through my mom, who was a teacher. And, and I certainly owe her all of that interest. Um, my dad was a contractor here in town um, and uh, he, he passed away about 11 or so years ago, but both my mom and dad grew up um, in farming families uh, in the area. And um, at least my mom's dad, he had a picture of Charlie um, up in his wood shop. Um, and I think he kind of had uh, a kindred connection to Charlie. Um, my, my grandfather would make some small wooden tractors um, and wagons. And that was a real, um, I, I think, passion project of his. Um, and I think he was doing it in, in the spirit of trying to capture the West that was. And I think he saw that Charlie was doing the same thing. Um, you know, so it's this really fun family um, dynamic for me. And, and I think so many people that live in the Great Falls area or in greater Montana feel some sort of family connection to Charlie, whether they, you know, had relatives that met him or not, or just simply can identify, you know, certain aspects of Charlie and his psyche in, let's say, you know, um, grandparents or aunts and uncles. So it's, it's kind of a personal thing for me. And I think probably a lot of people in the Great Falls community can say that. Yeah, that's very interesting. So your mom's dad, he was from Great Falls too. And he had a picture of Charlie in his studio where he worked. Yeah, you know, he's from the area. So um, he actually, the little town that they ended up living towards the end of their life is Stanford. So that's out in the Judith Basin, um, you know, about 60 miles east of Great Falls. Yeah, in his little wood shop, he had this picture of Charlie. And um, in the mid 80s, my grandpa had a, a little exhibition here 
of his wagons, um, which wow. was uh, good fun for our family. And I was yeah. pretty young at the time, but I can remember coming here and uh, being part of the little exhibition opening that they had. Um, and so that was that was just a great warm memory for our entire family. And so your mom, did she start that essay contest? She didn't, um, but she was really, you know, I think one of the longer term fifth grade teachers that had their students participate in it. What's interesting is the lady who did start that essay is uh, Norma Ashby and uh, Norma Ashby Smith um, now, but I'll have to introduce you to her when um, you're here, Mark. In fact, she might be someone you'd, inter you'd uh, enjoy interviewing, but she not only founded the essay contest, but she founded our auction. So um, they started about the same time um, as late 1960s and um, as a way to generate some attention and some funds for the museum. She felt both the auction and the essay contest were important things to introduce to the museum. And boy, they've been running strong um, for half a century and Norma's been involved every year uh -huh. along the way. And not too many organizations, museums or otherwise can say that they have someone like Norma, uh, you know, sure. a true hometown leader that's been involved for that long. And is it fifth graders that write this? Is it just from that grade, fifth grade? It is just fifth graders. And then we have um, a, a panel of educators. Some of them themselves are former fifth grade teachers that grade the essays. So they'll read them, they'll evaluate them. We'll select a winner for each school, a winner for all of the city schools, and then a countywide winner as well. Um, and then the city and countywide winners will read their essays. And then here in the museum, we keep all of the winning um, essays on display for the entire year. So you can see all of the different school winners and then obviously once again, the city and countywide winners. Um, and with those essays are just small little note cards of some works of art that those same students have produced to complement their essay. So, you know, Charlie, you know, I think most people who appreciate him, right? Uh, he just wasn't a painter or a sculptor. He also, you know, was an avid writer, um, writing particularly notes and illustrated letters oh, yeah. to his close friends. So it's all so you know appropriate that we would have these students match a little bit of their own artwork with some of their written word as a great way to memorialize and celebrate Charlie. Well, one of the interesting things I found by doing this podcast and interviewing so many artists is that generally artists gets ignited somewhere in that like time frame when they're fifth grade, somewhere third grade to seventh grade. And it's a winning a prize or being recognized by their art teacher or someone. And so what your mom did and what Irma did was that they made that ignition. And I, it would be very interesting to go back to all those people that have won and see how many of them may have actually gone into the arts. And I would even say maybe having your mom being involved in that ignited you to some extent. I don't know this, but I hope to find out here as I dig a little deeper. But have you guys ever looked back? I mean, I think it would be a, just a fantastic thing to see because that what you're talking about is really, I think, incredibly important and um, is, you know, saying art is important. This is a big deal to our community. This is a big deal for this museum. And if you win this, you're something special in that field. Have, have they ever gone back and looked at those people? Well, you know, um, no, probably not a, a, as, as deeply as we should. And in fact, that, has, that is something that we've talked about before is to have a reunion of essay winners. We have on a kind of a case-by-case -case basis had some touch points. For instance, the very first winner of the essay in 1969 
is herself now a fifth grade teacher, but she's a fifth grade teacher in, of all places, Ankara, Turkey. She works at uh, State Department School uh, there. So she has started the fifth grade essay contest uh, in Turkey uh, to answer the same prompt and introduce her students to Charlie. And so without question, she was inspired, um, you know, through her own experience as a fifth grade student and is now introducing this same concept to her to her pupils. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I'll tell you, Great Falls for a town its size has, I would say, a disproportionate number of professional artists in it. And I do absolutely attribute that to, uh, to Charlie on some facet uh, or form. Now, the essay contest is part of that formula. Other art museums in town are part of that too. Other Western artists who have, you know, come through Great Falls. But, you know, art begets artists and artists beget more artists in so many respects. And so I think you're, you're on point there, Mark. There's something that is kind of like passed down, you know, a little bit in the community, in the larger Western art community for sure. But, you know, certainly here in Great Falls, I think, you know, some of us from Great Falls have kind of joked and, and called our community the Paris of the Plains. Yeah, and, I get that. You know, that. sometimes that's a little bit of a joke, but no, I get at it. the same time, there's some truth to it. We have a lot of art museums, we have a lot of artists, and it's all because of things like Charlie and the essay. Yeah, I mean, you are an art colony in a, in a weird way. You really yeah. are. I mean, you got a, a, a very significant museum that celebrates art and artists, and you, you grow up knowing that this is important as your culture. <laughs> you know, your grandfather has Charlie's picture in his, you know, studio working. I mean, it's, it's kind of ingrained into you that art and, and to some extent, probably Western art, but art is not only important, it's cherished. And so this is a very unique community, it sounds like to me. Um, and I have no doubt that uh, it affected you. It had to, clearly you're doing, you're, you're part of the museum now. Um, so when you're growing up in Great Falls, when you're, let's say, in high school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Were you making art or doing art or reading or writing or what were you involved in? You know, I was primarily involved in sports, um, yeah. but, you know, as silly as it sounds, I guess maybe my hobby was drawing uh, baseball and football stadiums. You know, I, I actually I thought at one point that I would be an architect, um, you yeah, know, that's art. because I was really motivated by just the idea of structures and how structures can lend themselves a degree of inspiration. And, and as someone who particularly loves baseball, um, you know, baseball stadiums, baseball outfields, whether it be the grass or the orientation of the fence or a city skyline behind it. I mean, those are, that's art, right? I mean, and that creates this like kind of cathedral in sports, unlike any other stadium or venue, right? I mean, football stadiums are unique. I love Notre Dame football, by the way. And Notre Dame stadium is magical and spiritual but nothing is like a baseball stadium, right? And there's, I think, something to do with like the horizon of a baseball stadium, particularly in the outfield, as I mentioned. Mm. And that's, you know, I think like Western art, you can't really disconnect a horizon from Western art, um, you know, especially Charlie, because he works so much with light and works so much with the topography here in central Montana in particular. Um, so, you know, I have thought in the past, like there's probably this like, dotted line connection for my own interests between, you know, Russell work that I saw and me just feeling like that's this like just innate type of inspiration that we as Westerners feel and should embrace as kind of like part of our cultural identity and baseball stadiums, because they too have this own kind of unique horizon where 
action and life and the game is happening around you. But in the background is always this beautiful horizon, generally speaking. You think about like Wrigley Field or PNC Park in Pittsburgh or Coors Field or Bush Stadium, you know, just these great outfield uh, arrangements and orientations. And just like baseball can inspire you in that way, certainly Western art does inspire us in that way too. And Charlie's work, I mean, he's got something going on in the foreground, but there always present is this gorgeous horizon um, with you as well. So I think there is some connection there um, on so many levels. Oh yeah, for sure. If you're drawing stadiums, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely art and architecture, which I look at as being exactly the same. And so when you graduate from high school, that's in uh, Great Falls, I assume? Yep, at Charles M. Russell High School, in fact. Charles M. Russell High School. Wow, that's so fantastic. The only public high school, mind you, in Montana named after a person. Wow. Well, I wonder how many high schools are out there that are named after artists. Not no, that's... Well, that's okay. a fair question. Maybe there's like a Homer Winslow Elementary somewhere. Well, <laughs> there's sure. actually a Charles M. Russell Elementary School in Missoula, Montana. Um, but yeah, that's a great question, um, Mark. And, you know, that's, I think part of the, you know, Montana has really celebrated Charlie as its patron saint for, you know, decades. And so, you know, it's hard to drive around Montana and not see something with his name adorned on it. Why do you think that is? Why are they so involved with this artist what is it that makes him be the patron saint well gosh I, that's that is a great question i i would be remiss if the first way i i i answer that is by giving the credit to nancy right nancy russell right i mean yeah. without nancy i don't know that charlie's name and legacy would have spread nearly as far and wide as possible our um former curator uh emily wilson um said that Nancy took him from plains art to professional art. And, mm. and I think that that's kind of true, right? I mean, and, and that's an easy read of Charlie's um, story for sure, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than certainly the important um, influence that Nancy had. I would say in so many respects, like it's the accessibility of Charlie, right? I mean, like he's just so human. Um, he's someone who made his, his humor very available. He made his, his friendship very available. And you could see that, right? In, in part, the relationships he had with other artists like Dixon. Right. Um, but also you could see it in some of his illustrated letters that he sent back and forth and just in the ways people that spoke about him, right? And isn't that like probably the true indication of a great friend is how your friends speak about you. And I think that was Charlie. I think he was just a good friend uh, to so many people. And you know, he made himself vulnerable to those friends. He made himself vulnerable to the larger Western public, ultimately, who, who has gotten to see his art, but also read, you know, many of these illustrated letters and get a sense of just not only his talent as an artist, but also his thought as a, as a person. And so, you know, I think that has just made him incredibly endearing um, and has made it where people can just kind of draw themselves close to Charlie and feel like, um, in him, they have someone they can really identify with. Um, and, you know, last thing I'll say is, you know, he's a pretty timeless guy, right? I mean, the things that he was, he was capturing um, in his art were fairly radical for his day. I mean, you know, we did an exhibition here a few years ago on the role that strong women played in his life. And, you know, Nancy is one, uh, their neighbor, Josephine Trigg, whose collection really founded our museum is another, his mom. 
Um, and all these women, you know, most of their influence on him occurred before the passage of the 19th Amendment. You know, Nancy was working deals with collectors around the country um, and, you know, didn't have the right to vote. Um, so, you know, he had this appreciation, I think, for in a, a degree of inclusivity for women, certainly for indigenous figures, for wildlife, for, for the environment that has really served well over the course of decades. And in some respects, and I'll say this is maybe kind of like a sad commentary, Charlie's kind of still a little bit of a radical today because um, we are still struggling with some of those same things that Charlie and his day was, were struggling with in different manners, sure. But um, I think for all those reasons, Mark, Charlie's just this really fun, accessible and good friend for so many Montanans and Westerners. Yeah, I, I almost get the feeling that people embody themselves as Charlie Russell. In other words, they see Charlie Russell as Montana and they see themselves as the person they would like to be as Charlie Russell. He's a guy who came out, you know, in a time when it was very rough and rugged and he's, you know, working as a real cowboy, busting horses, doing all that stuff, then starts, you know, drawing and gets you know, finds an aptitude and is good at it. So he makes a change and is able to go for something like that to an artist. And then, you know, really becomes through Nancy, a kind of a superstar on the, on the world stage, at least in America and probably more, quite frankly. And, you know, he was Montana's probably first movie star, really in the sense of, you know, he was, he was a celebrity. He's, yeah. He was the celebrity and, and continues to be that. Um, which I find just amazing in so many ways that, you know, that an artist is, he's the Diego Rivera of, you know, Montana. He yes. is, but a better one <laughs> than Diego Rivera. No, you know, Diego's a great painter, but he had his personal issues for sure. And I don't know, Charlie really did. I think Charlie was more, you know, kind of straight and narrow and, you know, really, like you said, was accessible. The people and I just find this quite interesting. Is there a Charlie Russell day or anything like that in Montana or a holiday or they celebrate his birthday or anything like that? Well, we do um, a proclamation here um, during our March Western Art Week um, and actually it coincides with our essay. So we have a, a ceremony where the Russell essay contests are recognized, presented with some nice little awards. Uh, the winning essays are read, but then also uh, the mayor of our city reads a proclamation um, announcing it as Western Art Week. And in that, recognizing Charlie's role as just this kind of, um, you know, central figure in our story as a community. Um, there used to be a statewide proclamation, but then uh, the state in the late 90s um, stopped that uh, type of approach where they weren't doing statewide proclamations for days or weeks or months like that. Um, but um, that's still a big deal here in Great Falls. It's still this annual proclamation and really celebration of Charlie. Um, and we're excited now that we can do that really twice a year, oh, still in March, but now in August in conjunction with our Russell exhibition and sale, which, you know, uh, the COVID pandemic shifted for us. But hey, it gives us another reason to celebrate Charlie and his timelessness, um, you know, two times a year, which is, which is really important for us. And do you think Charlie Russell is seen in the other parts of Montana with this same kind of, um, you know, patron saint kind of a thing. 
And in other words, could you be a, a congressman in, in Montana and not know who Charlie Russell is? Well, if you are a congressman in Montana and you don't know who Charlie Russell is, you, you shouldn't be in office. I'll say there you go. I'll, okay. I'll say that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And I would say, um, yes, I mean, and, and I'll answer it in kind of this, these specifics. Uh, the McKay collection is this really large collection of very significant and important Russell works. And it's within the State Historical, Historical Society's collection in Helena. Um, so, you know, oftentimes um, when we're meeting people throughout the state, particularly new residents to Montana, they'll say, oh, yeah, you guys have two museums, right? One in Great Falls and one in Helena. And, you know, I, you know, usually we'll just take credit and make them assume that that's our museum, too. <laughs> but uh, no, no. Um, I, you know, I obviously need to correct them a little bit. Say, well, you know, that's the historical societies. But that's such an important collection. And it's so important to the historical society. And they celebrate, Charlie, that people just see that as really kind of a primary part of their mission and they do some wonderful things. They're such a great and strong partner and asset for Montana, but you know, they celebrate Charlie, right? And I think that is known in that Helena community. Um, Kalispell, the Flathead Valley, Charlie and Nancy had a place up in Glacier. Um, I think maybe Maynard Dixon visited uh, Bullhead that's Lodge where, up in yep. Lake McDonald. Yep, that's where he went. Okay, yep. So, you know, lots of folks in uh, the Flathead, uh, you know, love Western art and appreciate Charlie's connection to Glacier. Um, and so, you know, he really does stretch far and wide throughout Montana. And, you know, I, I shouldn't forget the Judith Basin. Now, there's no larger Montana city in, in the Judith Basin area. But I tell you, um, you know, you'll never find a group of people and a series of communities more proud of um, an adopted son than people in the Judith Basin are of Charlie, right? He arrived there when he was 16. And lived there, you know, for about eight or so years, I think, if I've got my my chronological order here right. But boy, people still there think, yeah, he's a son of the Judith Basin, and they are so immensely proud of him, and as they should be. So, you know, Charlie has that deep and wide connection uh, for Montana. Um, you know, you're probably aware, and and maybe some of your listeners are, but you know, there's two statues in Statutory Hall in uh, in right. the U.S. Capitol for right. each state, and Montana has Charlie as one of the two, and he's the only artist in the U.S. Capitol. And so, you know, even Montanans that are out there, usually you'll, you'll, you know, see some photos or selfies of someone standing next to Charlie and his palette. Um, so that's always good fun, too. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Though I think Goldwater is in there, and he would, some of us would go, well, he, he was a good photographer. <laughs> that's true. He, he absolutely was. He absolutely was. Yeah. So he's in there. Um, uh, Deborah Copenhaver Fellows did that sculpture of him. And he's he's in the rotunda in Washington, which is pretty interesting. So and he probably would have liked Charlie Russell. He probably did know all about Charlie Russell. In fact, I'm sure. There's I can imagine. Yeah. From what you know, my, my sense of, of Goldwater's story is he probably would have found some real kind of uh, unified souls there together. Yeah, well, I know he loved uh, Dixon. Goldwater loved Dixon. He loved, he liked Ed Mel's work. You know, he was a Westerner for sure. Um, so when you go uh, to high, to college, where do you go to college? I know I'm kind of jumping back, but I still want to get the whole story of how you kind of got into where you are now. Oh, so. sure, sure. Well, now that we're getting into college, we're getting into some of the really good stories. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> people should listen to this after, what, 11 p.m. And then we'll <laughs> No. I went to the University of Montana um, uh, for undergrad um, and then have a, a graduate degree from the University of Southern California. Don't tell any of my Notre Dame friends uh, that. But and what um, was your degree in? 
Uh, political science, it was my undergrad degree and then um, a master's in teaching social science um, from SC. So, um, you know, didn't necessarily ever, you know, start down. Well, I shouldn't say not necessarily. I didn't start down a track with the end goal in mind of, you know, working at a museum or either that or the Charlie Russell Museum, um, but was always very much interested in history and social science. Um, and so thought, you know, at some point, maybe I would, you know, teach government or civics in, you know, a high school setting, um, you know, at some point. And, you know, social science really is a study of us, right? And, you know, I would say, I would make an argument here um, that maybe Charlie was a bit of a social scientist himself um, because his work was the painting of us, was mm -hmm. the painting of the West that was changing. And, you know, he was capturing, you know, the essence of what was through the stories he has, he heard, or maybe some of the, you know, some of the compositions featured some, you know, scenes that he had seen certainly in Montana and the West, but um, you know, that's really, that is social science, right? I mean, it's just getting down people and thoughts um, uh, and saving them for posterity. So, you know, there's an opportunity to make future commentary around them. Um, and so I think that's in many respects, what continued to draw me to Charlie. Um, you know, you brought up Barry Goldwater, you know, another U.S. Senator, I would say, who probably had a deep affinity for Charlie, who actually I know had a deep affinity for Charlie was Mike Mansfield. Um, Mansfield was uh, our senior Senator here in Montana for a number of years. I think still now maybe Mitch McConnell's getting close, but Mansfield was the longest serving Senate majority leader in American history. I think, I think McConnell might be getting close to uh, superseding that record, but you know, uh, Mansfield was from great falls spent a lot of time at the university and I was always a real fan of Mike Mansfield still am. Um, and, uh, there's a real, you know, similar kind of like earthiness to, uh, Russell and Mansfield, and they would have certainly had some connection. So when I found myself at the university writing and reading, uh, about Mansfield, um, you know, it's an easy transition to kind of go back to your, you know, your core of Charlie, um, and, and to think about the commonalities that those two men had, though they led very different lives, but, um, you know, to kind of answer your question, that journey kind of took me towards more, um, you know, focused um, on, you know, just getting my education, thinking I would maybe become a, a high school teacher um, at that point, but then working in some nonprofits, um, both in the university system, um, and then uh, ultimately in, in a couple other charities here in Montana. Um, so really, my professional background is more in, you know, nonprofit administration. Um, than it is in arts, though I love art. And it's been, you know, on some level, a part of my life. And Charlie's story certainly has influenced my life and my thinking. But really, professionally, I, I, you know, I'm more of a nonprofit administrator than anything else. Um, so my job here is always to stay out of the way of people who really know what they're doing, like the curators and right. preparators um, and our education team who are delivering our programming and creating, you know, exhibitions and narratives that, you know, share uh, and celebrate Western art. Um, and I get the, the fun duty of being able to, you know, raise some funds, make some friends for the museum, um, make sure that our operations are, are functional and, and, you know, op operating, uh, optimally and, and just get to talk to good people like you along the way. Yeah. It seems like museums are going in that direction that really they recognize it's a business, right? and that you need to have a good director who can do the financial aspects, 
I'm not sure having a BFA or being an artist is a is a necessary um, you know thing that you have to click off to become an executive director of any museum. In fact, it seems like it's more doing what you have done with working with nonprofits. Seems like a a more uh, important skill set to have, and and of course a love of art. You have to have that too. I, I think I, I don't. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Can't imagine yeah, why you, why you would take a job at an art museum <laughs> otherwise <laughs> if you didn't. Well, and no one's going to want to support the museum if the person in charge doesn't truly love and feel excited about uh, the mission. Um, yeah. And I certainly, you know, have the good fortune of of sharing that real affinity for Charlie and for what we're doing here. So when so you're doing nonprofits, and then what happens? Do you take a job working with a museum, at, or do you go? Is in 2016 is when you started this. Was there any gap? Did you do some things in between those time frames? Well, you know, that's um, yeah, that's a good question, Mark. I mean, that, that's kind of part of this little interesting story. I, I was um, the vice president of development for Special Olympics Montana mm. and um, had, you know, met a couple of folks who ultimately, I didn't realize it at the time, um, were nonprofit consultants. Um, and I think when I first met them, they were not... Um, contracted with the, the museum here, uh, but they eventually would uh, contract with the museum to do a variety of different things. And one of them was to conduct an executive search. And so um, I think when they exhausted all good options, they then came to me um, and said, you know, would you be interested in this, uh, at least in, in interviewing or learning more? And I was, I mean, you know, this, as we noted, is a such a crown jewel in the state and such a source of pride for you know, our Great Falls home, I, you know, was both confused as to why they were talking to me, but also excited at the same time. And, but I had to tell them something, you know, I said, you know, you, you need to know I'm going to Afghanistan for a year. I'm a part of the National Guard here in Montana. And, you know, I kind of thought that that might just, you know, Sweet. respectfully end that conversation. I would have, hey, no harm, no foul, totally would have understood. Um, and, you know, I think the initial reaction was, yeah, I mean, it might, <laughs> it might create some challenges, but you know, a credit to the board of directors here, they were still willing to have that conversation and even more credit to them that they were willing to take a chance on, on me, um, not having that like real classical art background, but then also taking a chance on me knowing, well, knowing that after about nine months of working here, I would need to leave to go to Afghanistan for about a year. And so, um, you know, Mr. Tom Petrie, who was our board chair at the time, who he himself has a background in the army, um, you know, I think he had a certain, you know, personal appreciation for that. Um, he, he had that empathy of what that's like to have to yeah, get him. go somewhere. I think he was in Vietnam for uh, about a year. Um, and so, you know, he said, yeah, let's, um, let's venture forward. And so I came on board and yeah, then left for a little bit, but the museum continued to obviously function uh, very well without me. And, and that once again, big credit to uh, Mr. Petrie and the entire board who, who stepped up uh, along with our really talented staff and did such good work in that interim. So that's maybe more than you bargained for in that answer. No, well, I think that's very important to, to, to go down that road actually and find out some of that. Well, it, it says a lot about your board. It says a lot about Petrie. It says a lot about, you know, you know, your respect for their respect for military service. You know, I, I get it. I was a, you know, active duty myself for, four years. <laughs> oh, oh so, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I totally get it. But I didn't have to go to Afghanistan. I just missed out on the first, uh, you know, uh, desert storm by literally months. So 
Um, so I'm, I, I'm very appreciative of people who had to do that. So what was, what was your role when you were in Afghanistan? What were you doing? I was the, uh, the S3 or the operations officer of a battalion. Um, and we're a combat, combat uh, sustainment support battalion. Um, and we work directly for the 101st Airborne Division. Um, so at that time, the 101st had um, authority over the whole country. So the US-4 Alpha Commander was the two-star division commander from the 101st Air- Airborne. Um, so you know we had really three lines of effort. One was um, to provide um, a train, assist, and advise capacity to the Afghan National Army, specifically with logistics um, and, and really specifically fuel. Um, and then our, our next line of effort was to uh, provide contract oversight to about $800 million worth of various life support related contracts throughout the country. Um, and we mainly focused in like the northern two thirds of the country, um, but that, that took a lot of time and energy and spread our people throughout Afghanistan in various um, you know, locations. And then our final mission was to do sustainment support on Bagram, which was the major um, U.S. military installation in that country. So, uh, you know, we ran the, the main point for all ordnance, supplies, materials, um, and made sure those got dispatched throughout the country effectively. So it was an interesting mission. It was really, um, aside from being away from my family, um, it, was a, it was actually fun. It was, it was awesome, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, missed home, missed my kids and my wife, obviously, I think they generally missed me. Um, but it was fun. Besides that, it was, it was different. And, uh, we put on the only Western art exhibition. I think that the country of Afghanistan maybe ever had, um, in November of, uh, 2018 in conjunction with uh, native American heritage month, which the department of defense does every year. Um, we decided we'd get a few, um, Russell images emailed over and we printed them out on large plotters, which we'd use for maps and things like that. Right. But we printed them out on the plotters and mounted them on some, uh, cardboard. And, uh, it was kind of, you know, it was a little crude, but it got the job done. Um, so what did you do? Did you have a, like a showing of the images? And in- we did, we did. Yeah. yeah. We, we've, um, found some tripods that we would use for briefings where we, you know, yeah. put some, some mat boards on. Um, so we just turned them into tripods to display art. Um, I asked our curatorial team here to ship over um, some small little text panels that would accompany the, the various items that were all from our permanent collection here at the museum. Um, and yeah, so we printed them off and um, displayed them and had a little exhibition opening um, and had some of the brass there in Bagram come through and take a look at it. And um, I read a couple of things uh, that our curators had read, uh, written for me. Uh, and, you know, it was fun. It was fun. Um, hopefully the Taliban are taking good care of those Russell reproductions that I'm sure mm-hmm. they are really fascinated mm-hmm. by. Um, but uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great memory um, overall. And we got to share a little bit of the American West with, you know, people in the military from around the country. And, you know, we had a bunch of NATO and coalition partners there too. And um, they, they loved it um, as well. So it was, it was good fun. As you can appreciate from your own military experience, you meet a menagerie group of folks, right? And oh, yeah. um, you know, in these journeys you have. And so, you know, if you can share a little bit of Charlie and share a little bit about the West, um, you, you feel like you've done something to kind of lighten their life a little bit. I bet it was more than fun. I bet it brought something deeper to you, honestly, because, you know, you're a Montana, native Montana, as your, you know, it's your heritage. You know, that you're the executive director of that museum. You know, you are bringing 
I would even say it wouldn't surprise me if you teared up at one or two times in that when you're showing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it felt like a little bit of home. Yeah, I um, bet. You know, in this, you know, the, the strange chaos of of Afghanistan. So yeah, it, it it was real personal. It absolutely was. You're, yeah, you cut to the heart of that, Mark. It was. It was really special. Yeah, I would think so. I th- I would think it would be almost when you and and when it's over, you still got those images around that are, you know, I, I, I don't know if I want to use the word haunting, but in a weird way, they are haunting you because that's home. That's everything. That's everything you are. Right. Well, it totally. And, you know, I couldn't help but think about that. You know, was it, you know, last summer, right. When we we're all watching the images on TV of Afghanistan quickly collapsing, right. And the, and the Taliban just sweeping through. Right. And when I woke up one morning and saw that the Taliban had taken control of Bagram, I thought to myself, I know exactly where those those images are, right. um, because in fact, uh, so the 101st, which we reported to, they left about the same time we did, and first ID was coming in, and so um, one of the the staff officers from a, a brigade within the uh, first infantry division, I, I said, hey, you know, <laughs> you got some Russell images here. When you get when November comes around, you're going to need to do something for Native American Heritage Week you sh- or month. You should want to do something, and uh, you know I'd take these out, I'd set them back up because it'll be a whole new group of people. Right. And you know I I don't know if they did or not, but um, I do know that closet had a bunch of stuff in it from like ten years prior. So I thought, you know what? I bet that closet never was cleaned out. And when you know our forces rolled out, you know you saw how much material was demilitarized and left. And I thought, I can't imagine they would have taken those yeah. Russell images. So I only, uh, I truly, I, I can imagine that someone from the Taliban probably would have opened up that closet, taken a look at these and thought, what the heck is this? Yeah. Um, I hope they like them. Hope they're, hope they're enjoying it. Yeah. Them. See, they still have importance to you. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do. I mean, they, they do copies, they do. but they're very, they're, I mean, they have real importance to you and you were concerned and thinking, where are they? And what are they doing with them? And, you know, that, that represents America. The it heart of America, does. actually. It absolutely does. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, not to get too philosophical about it, but like art is just, it, it's, it's an expression of freedom, right? I mean, it is, it is part of a liberty that makes, you know, the place we live so special. It makes, you know, why you would want to go to a place like Afghanistan. It, it adds additional layers of meaning, right? Because we get to live in a place that you can, paint and produce work um, that inspires you without fear or, um, you know, embarrassment, right? And there's not a lot of places in the world that you've got that. And and in fact, not to get too off track here, but I was really interested by art in Afghanistan. You go to bazaars, you know, like in Kabul, for instance, there's a large, well, there's a lot of big bazaars around, but there's one in Kabul in particular, um, pretty close to the U.S. Embassy. Um, it just seemed to be a little bit better than the other bazaars. Um, and you got a whole bunch of different things in there. You can buy, you know, cheap electronics, most of it knockoff stuff, right? You can get a tailored suit, um, you know, but you could also buy Afghan art and very few pieces, um, in, in this, you know, Afghan art collection had people in it. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. It just, it was a lot of landscape stuff. Um, and at first that didn't really catch me, but after, you know, being there for a number of months, I asked this, this gentleman who was kind of like the proprietor, I said, you know, is landscape art, just the art of Afghanistan. And, you know, he told me a story that when 
the Taliban swept through in the 1990s, they put a prohibition on any art that featured the human form, mm-hmm. um, that that didn't fit with their interpretation of, of Islam, right? Their very fundamentalist approach to, to Islam. So they started destroying works of art that had any uh, human figure in it. And, um, and I was just really interested by that. And he said, well, you need to look up and read about that because there's even a deeper story. And I can't remember this gentleman's name offhand. You, I should find this story and give it to you. This gentleman was a physician in Kabul in, I think it was the mid 1990s. And he had a sense that the Afghan um, National Gallery's collection would be destroyed. Yeah. So he went down there with uh, some artist friends that he knew, and they painted over the top of all of these very significant pieces within the Afghan National Collection for the sake of kind of sanitizing them for the, you know, the Taliban. So the Taliban come in, see those items and think, well, they're okay. Well, fast forward a few years, the Taliban um, are, are overthrown right after you know, we invade, shortly after 9-11. Um, and this group led by this gentleman think, hey, it's okay to probably bring these pieces back out again. So they carefully remove all of the, the work that they have done on these canvases to reveal the original artwork again. And so, you know, it, it's just interesting. Art, it, it really it identifies our story as people, right? It's kind of go back to the social science aspect of it. It, it, you know, memorializes our stories. It captures ideas. It unifies people together. And only does that really happen in, in free societies. Um, and, you know, Afghan, uh, you know, art, right. Has, has seen its peril and it probably, it, it probably is at, at risk again uh, right now. Although I think there is some moderation in the Taliban today versus you know, uh, 20 some years ago, but boy, it's all that much more, all that many more reasons why we should just really appreciate where we get to live and the kind of art that we get to celebrate. Yeah. I think lots of uh, cultures over the millennium have destroyed other people's art because it's a way of cutting to the core of that humanity and that culture. Yeah. And, and I knew when, when I saw Afghan when the Afghan Taliban was destroying the big sculptures, these monumental sculptures oh, yeah. are carved out of a side. The Buddhist Sabamian. Yeah. yeah. Just thought, man, that's the end of, you know, that's the end of the culture for them. And, yeah. and it was yeah. not long after that things kind of spiraled down. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. We don't realize, I think, or it's not generally realized how important art is in making statements, emotional, political, cultural, uh, statements of who we are and what we are. Charlie Russell is one of those, right? You know, totally. I mean, yeah. if you wanted to destroy what Montana is, you go in and destroy Charlie Russell's stuff. And that cuts to the heart of, you know, who you are as a people, uh, who you are as a culture, who has, how you see yourself. You can imagine how angry that people would be if even one piece was oh. destroyed. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's right. Especially you're I'm sorry, especially for someone like Charlie, right? Who yeah. like kind of embodies the West, the, yeah. the definition of the West that we have, you know, in, in Montana. And, you know, I, you know, not to bring it around too much to geopolitics again, right? But that's happening in Ukraine, right? I mean, there are stories of entire collections being destroyed in Ukraine because they feature predominantly Ukrainian artists. And, you know, you have incredibly valiant uh, groups of people. You know, a lot of them are staffs of museums in, yeah. in Ukraine right now, you know, uh, 
whether they be curators, board members, uh, preparators, artists themselves that are trying to save sculpture, trying to move collections out of the country, right. trying to take things underground and risking their own lives in the process because those art collections are targets for, uh, you know, Russian activity, right? Yeah. Because they know, right, if you want to hurt the psyche of a country, you go after the art and culture of it. And yeah. so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate reality, but it does speak to how critically important art is for our identities as people. Right. I saw a beautiful picture of a man doing a plein air painting of the bombed out kind of buildings, but he was out there just doing a, you know, he's an artist, right? He, he needs to be painting. He needs to be doing his thing. And he's, you know, he, what's in front of him now is not beautiful buildings, but damaged ones. And it was amazing. Yeah. I thought, wow, that's, wow. you you know, you uh, artists have to do what they have to do. Whether yeah. Taking a cello and playing in the middle of the area was bombed out or somebody painting. So what do you think you learned um, you know, or took away from that military experience to what you do to na- today as you know, uh, you're in your job as an executive director? Because I'm sure there must have been some takeaways that you saw the world a little differently or how you do logistics and things. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a really good question. And I don't know if I fully know that yet, to be honest with you. Um, I, people that my wife's asked me that actually a couple of times that I know um, is a good question. Yeah. If your wife yeah. has asked that same <laughs> Yeah. You know, and we do little periodic health checks, right. In the military. And you so see, you, you visit with a, a counselor just once a year and they, you know, ask you how you doing. And, sure. and actually that question has come up. Um, and just to be honest with you, I don't know uh, entirely. I'll tell you a couple of things that, and, and, you know, I'm not that close to it. I guess, you know, as I came back in 2019, which is, you know, it's crazy to think it's, it, it feels like five minutes ago. It's crazy to think, you know, that, you know, a couple of years have passed, a few years have passed since, but, you know, I, I think what it comes down to is that, you know, whether it's, you know, war or a museum at the end of the day, it's people, right? I mean, um, you know, we spend a lot of time working with contractors who don't report to us, right? I mean, Mm-hmm. And we might evaluate their contract performance, but at the end of the day, they can tell me or tell our soldiers who are evaluating these contractors in Afghanistan, they can tell us to go take a hike, right? And, and some of them did. Um, the Afghan National Army guys that we were trying to give some pointers on some fuel operations, they didn't really work for us either. Um, but it's all about influencing people in a way that they feel empowered. And I mean, that's ultimately how anything happens anywhere, right? Whether it be like a museum, a school, you know, the military is, you know, do people really feel empowered to live their own best life? And, you know, if they do, they can do incredible things and you can work with them to achieve something pretty special. And, you know, I think certainly that's one thing that stood out to me, you know, there is, you know, you know, we're, I'm a member of the National Guard, but working with a lot of active duty folks, but, you know, you just kind of all work together, but you kind of feel empowered to do what you think you need to, to achieve, you know, a unified goal. It's the same here in a museum where we have a board from around the country. We have patrons from around the country. We have artists who have different agendas and interests. And sometimes those are competing interests. Sometimes, you know, our board's interests compete with each other or with our, you know, priorities as a staff, but we all have to come together to kind of feel unified on a central thing, whether that be an exhibition or like a big campaign, which we're in presently at the museum. 
y'all just kind of got to pull together as people to do something. And if people feel empowered and respected, um, you know, they'll be emboldened to do really special things. And so, you know, I guess that's one common factor that kind of like sticks out in my mind, but that's maybe not a thought mark that I've probably like explored enough in some respects. Yeah. It's probably there subconsciously. You're dreaming about it and thinking about it in those terms, but I'm sure, I'm sure you have thought about it. It may just not be, as you said, consciously <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I mean, you absorb all that stuff that you experienced and what you had to do and the things that were required for you to, uh, to, to, to do your job and to survive and to try to, you have the bigger goal of trying to help, you know, your country, you know, that stuff sticks. So, and I'm sure it goes and affects you on how you look at the big picture of a museum too, and how, what you want to leave. Cause I'm sure you want to leave a legacy too. I mean, that's your home place where you grew up and where your parents were from. And, you know, you have, you know, it's, it's your, it's your country as well. Just, you know, Great Falls and, and the museum, I would think. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I, you know, besides having an opportunity to just live in a place that's very familiar, that feels like home. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a place where there's a different type of pride that you feel when you're in your hometown and you want to be in your hometown. And, yeah. you know, gosh, I'm so blessed to yeah. be able to say that that's something I get to do. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's talk, talk just a little bit as we finish up about, what you have coming up in August, because that sounds, you know, for people who may not know about your big event, uh, what it entails, who's coming, how can people go to it, and that kind of thing. Well, first and foremost, we get to honor this guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know him, Dr. Mark Sublett, um, heck of a good guy. Um, I'm, ex I'm excited to meet him, meet you in person, yeah. Mark. Um, you know, but the Russell Western Heritage Awards have been for us such a special way to celebrate the American West and people who who make a, a tremendous contribution and create for themselves a legacy uh, for the West in the spirit of Charlie. Um, so Mark, thank you for allowing us to recognize you and honor your body of work. That's going to make such a special evening for us here in Great Falls. And that really does kick off all of our events. So to answer, you know, part of your question, it, it, you know, we run from Thursday, August 18th through Saturday, August 20th, and it starts um, Thursday, we have uh, a, an open house, a preview party is what we call it, for all of our auction art. And these are, you know, contemporary works from living artists, as well as uh, historic works from uh, folks, obviously, like Charlie, that we have offer as consignments within our auction. Um, and that combined with the Russell Western Heritage Awards on Thursday, caps off a really great day to start uh, the three day event. Um, Friday, we have what we call art in action. It's a quick draw, quick finish style format. Um, and those are fun. Uh, you know, that is in so many respects, kind of like a fan favorite, um, here in Great Falls because people get to interact with the artists as they're producing their work. So, you know, there's conversations about technique, there's conversations about the creative process, there's bad jokes, there's just, you know, good fun that goes on, you know, people reconnecting with old friends. So, that's just a really good one. We've done it year in and year out at the um, Metal Art Country Club here in Great Falls, which is, is a beautiful club. Um, it's a club that Charlie and Nancy were actually members of. So it's it's been in Great Falls since 1917. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to do part of it this year outside on the 18th green, which will be well, right off the 18th green, I should say. We're not going to be on the green, uh, but um, it'll be beautiful right on the, the Missouri River. Um, mm -hmm. People will really enjoy that. 
And then that takes us to kind of what is going to be for us a new high point. And, and really we're changing the game in which we've done, you know, the, the auction for the past 53 years. And we're doing, we're changing it by this way. We're taking our auction, um, the two night event, which people are accustomed to and putting it in the Montana Expo Park, which is the largest event venue we have here in Great Falls, one of the largest in Montana. And we're combining that auction with about 150 artist suites. Um, so we have welcomed and invited every single artist that we've juried into our show um, to set up a booth um, and to offer original works for sale um, there in that, in that same venue. So under one roof, we will have about 150 artists along with our great sale. Um, the space in itself will be absolutely transformed and made into this very elegant, but truly Western um, uh, environment uh, where we get to celebrate the art and soul of the American West and Charlie Russell um, with, with living artists today. So it'll be good fun. It'll be a very memorable uh, experience. It'll be an auction unlike anything we've ever done. And we believe this is setting a new course for the Russell exhibition and sale, which um, uh, Larry Lynn Peterson, our board chair, calls, and rightly so, the granddaddy of all Western art auctions. I mean, we, the Russell really started uh, yeah. all of them. Um, you know, others have cropped up and have done great, big, wonderful things. Um, but we are the original. Uh, we're an auction that celebrates art and artists unlike anywhere else. Um, so if you truly love the American West and you want to celebrate it in the spirit of Charlie, there's nowhere else you want to be than in Great Falls this August. And that's the 20th when you have the auction and the 150 artists that are going to be in the pavilion. That's the 20th. You know, I, I'm glad you asked. So we'll have the artists there the 18th through the 21st, in fact. I see. Um, on the 19th and 20th, so Friday and Saturday night is when we'll have the auction. So I see. Friday night's auction we call First Strike, um, and that is um, exclusively um, contemporary works by living artists. And uh, Saturday night is a combination of um, contemporary Russell, uh, contemporary Western work with historic offerings um, as well. So it's a two night event and it's just, it's really good fun. And I think I'm going to give a lecture on Dixon on like the 20th, which is that Saturday, I guess. That's right. And that'll be at the Montana Expo Park as well. Um, oh, nice. You know, we're working on uh, a 10 a.m. schedule for educational symposium. Um, and, you know, that'll be fun too, Mark. What we, We've set it up so we'll have the educational space right in all of the artist suites. So oh, wow. as people um, are listening to your symposium, we'll have artists coming out of their booths um, and just taking it in as well. And that's something we've never done before either. We've always had our symposium at a gallery here in the museum, separate from our event. But you know what? We want it to all be together in this sense of kind of unity, because that's really what we're trying to get to. Um, you know, people bring it back to the core essence of why Western art matters and why, you know, our world should take notice of great Western artists today. Um, and so the symposium will be great fun. That's Saturday the 20th at 10 a.m. Excellent. And so if people want to attend one i know they need to start making hotel reservations soon because they're all gonna go away right yeah that's right that's right and, and two can they go to your website and get tickets and 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 find out more information that's right so we would encourage people to go to cmrussell.org um you can see some sliders on our front website that rotate you'll see one on the russell um you can also click on the events tab at the top or you can look for the Russell icon that floats on the screen. We've just kept that Russell skull 
icon on every page and it floats there. So if folks click on that, it'll give more information on the auction, a run of events. And they can also call 406-727-8787. And that's our main line. Um, and you can ask for more information. And they can also go to this podcast because we'll put it up, all those links and those numbers and things. So if they're, if they're going and watching this on YouTube, you can uh, get all that information as well. And that's right. I know I'm thrilled to and honored beyond belief to, to get the Western Heritage Award. It's just amazing. It's, you know, it's, I'm still surprised and shocked because it's such a, a, an amazing group of individuals who have received it. And so that for me is going to be, a, you know, clearly I'll have a special place with Charlie Russell now in my heart too. <laughs> I can tell you that. Well, thank you, Mark. And, yeah. you know, you're in, in due and appropriate company. Yeah, that's a, it's a wonderful thing. So I'm, I'm so thrilled that you took the time to talk to me today and, you know, just kind of let us know, you know, who you are and what you are and how special this museum is and how special Great Falls is, which uh, another thing I'm really looking forward to is just kind of getting to see that city and, and the people that uh, make up such a unique bunch of uh, Western individuals. So uh, it's, it's really, a, it was a, an honor to get to talk to you and spend time with you and, and next time I see you, we'll be in August and I'll get to see you in person. <laughs> well, I look forward to it, Mark. And I'm so privileged to have been on this, uh, this podcast. You, you have a great show here. And, you know, thanks for covering our events. And, uh, yeah, we really look forward to meeting you in person here in August. Yeah, and I'm looking so much, so forward to getting to meet Larry in person, too. I had a podcast with him on, so if people want to find out about, he's a great writer, Larry Peterson. He is. Yeah, he, he really is. is. He put out an amazing. You know, you know, I have to give a quick shout out to Larry. Um, you know, I mentioned Mr. Petrie earlier. You know, we've been so fortunate to have just this lineage of great leaders here at the museum. And, um, you know, Tom Petrie, Jim Peterson now. Uh, Larry Lynn Peterson, um, boy, ha have really led the way for us. And, you know, a lot of folks, I think, know, you know, our event is usually in March, right? Well, right. March 2020 rolls around and, you know, the whole world looked at the <laughs> pandemic square in the face and had to make some big decisions. And it's because of, you know, Larry, like yourself as a physician, um, and he understood what this was and gave some sage counsel to our entire board. Um, which really ultimately led to us making some very strong decisions along the way. We were the very first event to reschedule uh, as a result of the pandemic. And that credit goes to Larry and his boldness and, and you know, just his shrewd insights on what we were facing. We're just so fortunate to have him as our leader and to enjoy him as an amazing writer and just a truly treasured scholar of Russell's work. Yeah, he really is. Yep. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. And uh, it's only, what is it, like five months away or something? That's, <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. It feels uh, like five minutes away. So we, we look forward to it. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the future, which is coming up soon. All right. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Go enjoy. Go, go, go get your snowplow out. <laughs> yeah, I need to. <laughs> <laughs>